Welcome home, and thank you for joining us here on the Real Life Church Podcast. We are people of faith with the voice of hope who are known by love. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, everybody. Man, I'm so glad you're here. You guys look beautiful. You look amazing today. Isn't it beautiful outside? Man, I love uh, I love when you wake up on a, a spring time and it's just cool outside, beautiful outside. And so uh, you guys may have barbecues planned this afternoon or, <clears throat> or, or supper in the oven. But uh, man, we're excited that you're here sharing a part of your weekend with us. Man, we celebrate you being here. And thank you for taking the journey with us journeying with us as a community and and again if this is your first time we're so glad you're here but for those who journey with us man this has been exciting i'm uh thankful for where god has us i've shared this today we're going to continue romans 12 uh better together part two and uh so i i'm excited about this conversation um as many of you have known i've been waiting seven years to share this Romans 12 message. And uh, so I believe God's going to kind of weave this into our, our spiritual DNA. And I, I pray that as we go through this together, as we journey together, as we find better together, that, man, you'll just experience the grace of God. You'll find your gift. You'll find what God is saying over you, what he says about you. And uh, we can connect to this message in a, in a real way. I believe Romans 12 is true spirituality, true spirituality. So I'm excited about that. Um, how many of you guys have heard of the six blind guys uh, that took a journey together? Anybody heard of this story before? Um, somebody thought, man, this would be really fun if I took uh, a six blind guys to the zoo. And so he decided, man, he's going to lead them through the zoo. They've never been there before. And he gets permission from the zookeeper to bring them into the elephant area. And so these six blind guys, they come in, and they grope, and, and he leads them about, and he says, man, I want you to touch the elephant, and, and I want you to describe the elephant. So one blind guy touches the side of the elephant and says, man, he's like a textured wall. The, the elephant is like a stone wall, like a brick wall. And the other guy touches his, uh, his, his legs and says, no, no, no. The elephant is like a tree, like a, a deep-rooted, powerful, immovable tree. And, and the other blind guy touches his trunk. He says, no, 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 the, the elephant is like a snake. And another guy touches his tusk. He says, nah, the, the elephant is like a, a spear. Another blind guy touches the elephant and, and touches the tail. It says, you guys are all wrong. The elephant is like a, a snake. It's, it's like a rope. It, it, it's something thin. It's something you can, it's movable. It, it's, and the other one touches the ear and says, oh, you guys are crazy. The elephant is like a fan. They all touched the elephant. They all had their experience with the elephant, but all they could describe was their experience. And, and so it is important, you know, if every one of them walked away that day with their own perspective of the elephant, how many of you guys know they would be wrong? Because the elephant is not like a tree. The elephant is not like a rock wall. The elephant is not like a spear. It's not like a snake. It's not like a rope. But yet it is. But it, it's only true in that moment of what you're experiencing. But there's a bigger picture. We need each other to complete the picture. We need each other. The, our perspectives, our, our, the graces on our life, our, our experiences together, the way we journey together, we need each other to actually move in the grace and understand what God's doing. And I think it's so important when we, as we're coming through Romans 12, you begin to see, you know, you may see, hey, these are some of my giftings or these are the graces that God has on my life. When we become aware of that, then we kind of know that that's the lens that we see out of. But that doesn't mean that someone else's lens is in, wrong. Just like these guys that looked at the elephant, the tree trunk was, you know, their leg was like a tree trunk. You know what I mean? Those were, and we need one another because we all see pieces. None of us have it together. Uh, Pastor Randy was talking. He said we are interdependent, right? Last week we kind of talked about the pencil, how many people it took to actually make one pencil. 
we all are interwoven and need one another. None of us have it all together, and we need each one's perspectives. So I think it's just really important as we're studying Romans 12 that it's not, oh, my God, this gift would be so amazing to have, and this one wouldn't. No, we need all of them. And when they're working together healthily, when they're working together in the flow of the spirit of love and unity, man, it's a beautiful picture of Christ. Um, do you have that text from Romans? All right, would you guys pull that up for us? This is from Romans 12, 7 is where we're at. We've been on this almost all year long, and we're on verse 7. So <laughs> uh, we may finish Romans 12 before Jesus comes back. Um, maybe. Uh, we'll see. He might be here today. Uh, Romans 12, 7, this is from the Passion Translation. It says, if your grace gift is serving, then thrive in serving others well. If you have the grace gift teaching, then be actively teaching and training others. That's the text we want to deal with today. That's the portion we want to dive into today. And so I'm excited about serving and teaching. First uh, Peter 4.10 says, everyone has received a gift. Look at your neighbor and say, I'm a gift. <laughs> Look at your other neighbor and say, you got a gift. So everyone is a gift, and everyone has received a gift. Every man has received a gift. Even so, minister the same one to another as good, watch this, stewards of the manifold grace of God. The manifold there means multicolored, multi-textured, multi-layered. It's, it's a diverse expression. God is saying, listen, we all have been given a gift. We all have a grace, and together we make a beautiful tapestry. We make a beautiful expression. Together it is Christ in you, the hope of glory. But it's not you personally, it's you corporately. If, if it was written in the South, we would say it's Christ in y'all, the hope of glory, you know. So um, the Greek word here for gift is used in this verse is charisma. And charis means grace. Charisma is described in the Vines Expository Dictionary as, watch this, a gift of grace, a gift involving grace. Charis on the part of God as the donor is used the same word charisma is used to describe the gifts here in Romans 12. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us. If prophecy, let us prophesy, or ministry, or serving, or teaching, and it goes on through the whole list. And so today, we just want to focus on two of them. We're going to try to do two each week, and, um, and so... Man, this summer, I'm excited. We got a, a, a series coming out this summer called The Summer of Love. And so, uh, man, it's going to be fun. And we're going to talk about what love is. We're also going to talk about what love ain't. And so uh, maybe we should really call it what love ain't. But, um, but how many of you guys know, man, God, this is just, I'm so glad. Man, this is such a cool moment. So glad you're here to experience this with us. Would you share about the gift of serving well, I do want him to pop this up real quick. Um, I have a lot of people that have asked, well, how do I really know what my gift is? And sometimes we know what our gift is. Sometimes we may not. There is a website you can go to. I love Chip Ingram. He's, very, he's a very practical preacher, but he's done a huge extensive search and uh, study on Romans 12. And this is, he created a little uh, questionnaire, and it's called therealyou.org. And you can, it's free, it takes maybe less than 10 minutes, but it kind of breaks down, it's an awesome tool. So if you're like me and you kind of nerd out on that stuff, um, everybody on my team knows I'm, you're getting a personality test and temperament and your leadership style. I mean, like we do it all, so, because I want to know. But if well, you're interested. I, I need to pre-preface this. Do not, this is not a Bible quiz. You're not going to get graded on if you answer it right. You need to be honest. You need to be truthful. Not what you think Jesus wants you to say. Or what right? you want to yeah. have. <laughs> yeah, or, or not coveting someone else's gift yeah. to be like, well, I really don't like, but I wish I was like that. Now, now just be true to you. And I've, and it's amazing. We've done this many times, usually for different people, and it's really good. And I think it can help unlock maybe some of the grace that God's put on your life. So I think it's a great tool. So I just wanted to put that out so you can check it out. And I love, as we've been talking about Romans and Romans 12, uh, chapter uh, chapter 12, verse 1, especially in the message of taking our everyday, our ordinary everyday life. That is all of us, no matter what you may feel, what your grace gift is, if you're in an office of 
a pastor, a preacher, a teacher, evangelist, prophet. We're going to put that to the side. All of us taking our everyday, ordinary life, waking up, going to sleep, going to work, laying our lives before Jesus and loving people, loving God and loving people. It's really that simple. And these gifts, as we get into it, they're not so we can walk around and be like, yo, I got the gift of leadership. That's right. No. These gifts are to help interlock in the body. Whether you're serving in a church, if you're serving at your job, if you're serving your family, if you're serving in your community, these are grace gifts. And a lot of times when we begin to kind of go through them, you may see them and you may find that these are kind of actual, sometimes they're kind of referred to as like a motivational or functional gift. And so you may see that you just naturally, even before you're saved, you might say, man, I just kind of naturally find myself, if you're a server, if you have a heart of serving, you may be like, I just love helping people. You may be a giver. Um, I love this. RC already kind of mentioned this, but in 1 Peter 4.10, we use our gifts to serve one another. They are not meant to serve ourselves. If they're serving your ego, you need to go have a talk with Jesus. If it's because it puffs up our head, no. What it, In Romans, it talks right above that. says, be careful of pride. Like, we check the pride check. If you're, and I'm, I'm going to say this, because and me and RC, we've been really vulnerable and kind of in our journey. When we went to Florida, God really did open heart surgery on us. Because we had been involved in church for many years, served in different um, aspects and different areas of ministry. And there becomes a point where we, you begin to think you have it all. Or that you're the one that can fix everything. Or you have to be needed. And it becomes where you get your identity from. If you find yourself in that space, we have to say, Jesus, I need to repent. And I need you to help me not to get my identity from what I'm doing. Because that's not where our identity comes from. Our identity comes from knowing that we are beloved by God. He did everything for us on the cross. It is not our own righteousness. It's his. And so this, when we have that true revelation and that becomes alive in our heart, and can I be honest? There's times I got to go back and I got to repent because I can get fall into that trap. That the, and the enemy has these pitfalls, and we'll get into a few of them as we get in. But So we want to use our gifts for serving others and serving Christ. That's what it's about. Amen? All right. Will you guys jump to the next one? kind of want to just break down really quick just a quick definition of serving. I, I know p some people are word people, some people aren't. I'm a kind of a word person. I like to know what serving is. I'm going to let R.C., our Greek master here, say the word. <laughs> Diakonia. Okay, I wasn't even going to try because um, I would probably butcher it. But it is what it means is it implies an attendant offering aid, relief, or service, or minister. Let me ask you guys something. How many of you guys have ever been to, like, a hospital? You've been to a hospital, whether you've been a patient or a doctor. Okay. Okay. Two people. All right. So if you've ever been, I just used this one because I, I was, like, was there to serve. I've worked in healthcare for a long time in different aspects, especially on the back end of the business office. But I've been around doctors and the ER and all this stuff. And I just use this because we probably all have touched on this. It's probably touched us, whether we've been a patient or we've been there with people who are patients. You ever met somebody where you know it's their calling? Like, it's their calling to serve. I have. I've met a lot of doctors, got to work very, very close hand with them. And I've met a lot of nurses. And there are some, like, it is their calling. Like, they would do it for free. Like, their heart is, and I really believe they have a gift of compassion along with that of mercy, but they also have a heart of serving, CNAs, respiratory therapy, whatever. And, but I've also met people who worked and functioned in serving, and it was not their calling, and they did not have the grace for that. They were there for the dollar, and uh, it was pretty obvious. So I just use that as a quick example because it's just one. When we're talking about serving, there is a grace gift of serving. There are people who their heart, and you may be one of them, where your heart, when you see a practical need, you want to meet it. You're like, you know what? I see the praise team struggling, trying to move equipment. A server usually is going to jump up 
And they're going to like, let me, how can I help? What can I do? Um, a lot of times they're very practical. They'll want to organize. These are just some of, the, some of the characteristics of this. And so let me jump over here. You can kind of see, this is actually where we get our English word, deacon. It means to serve. A deacon is not a power, if it's a power play, you got the wrong heart. A deacon is somebody who is to serve. We serve one another. And action, serving is action. It's an action word. And we're going to jump in really quick. Will you guys go to my next screen for me? These are some of the examples in serving. Now, I'm going to do a very broad stroke, okay? These are not the only scriptures or stories of serving. But I, I want to just touch on these for just a few moments. When we think about serving, I want to look at Elisha. We know he was a predecessor to Elijah, right? And Elisha actually did double the miracles. But Elisha, I believe that's in, I can't even see that far out. You guys are going to have to help me. Is that 2 Kings? All right, I think chapter 3, 4, I don't know. I feel like I'm doing an eye test right now. Um, but in this section, there's a king, and they're about ready to go to battle. And he says, is there not anybody that I can inquire of the Lord? And his servant says, there is one, his name is Elisha, and he was the one who poured water on the hands of Elijah. I think that's really interesting, because it wasn't, this is Elisha who's got the double portion, strong and mighty. He was actually recognized by his heart to serve. We find Elisha in the field, serving in his father's field. Do you remember that? When the mantle, when Elijah comes and he throws the mantle on him, he was actually serving in his father's house. When there's a person of serving, when you have that grace, then you want to help. I love this one, Martha. And I want to just say this really quick. The story of Mary and Martha, this is not a hero and villain story. Um, sometimes we take this and we're like, Mary is the hero and Martha's this villain. And so I want to help out the Marthas for a moment. Um, if in this, this is in uh, Luke 10, we see this where Jesus and the disciples are at uh, Martha's home. And a lot of scholars believe that Mary, Martha, and Lazarus actually were part of the Essenes and that they helped to run a, like a hospice, that they were there taking care of people. So Mary also served, okay? Now, all my Marys just went, where are you going with this? Um, I feel you. It's all right. Mary did serve. There's, this is kind of where the pitfall comes in, and Martha displays it so beautifully. But Martha had a gift of serving. She was serving. She was preparing the house. That was her role. That was what she was supposed to be doing. But in studying this, they said a lot of scholars believe that she actually probably got the same invite to come and sit at Jesus' feet. So here's the pitfall for all you servers. You have to have time to be with the Lord. And that sounds so simple, but can I tell you it's really hard sometimes? Because servers have a very hard time of saying no. And this is what happens. When you have a hard time of saying no, we watch Martha where she gets what? She gets mad and she gets frustrated. Excuse me, why ain't Mary over here helping out? I'm back here slaving away. And Jesus is like, Martha, Martha, honey, sweetie, baby doll. He didn't say baby doll. You're, you're missing the point. Right now, that can wait. Step away from the serving and sit at my feet. This is what you need. So we need some Marthas, because if not, guess what? There are no laborers going into the field. Okay, so we need, some, we need some Marthas. But if we're serving from the wrong place of trying to get our need met, and guess what? It can feel good to give and serve. Anybody ever been there, want to be honest, where you're like, you walk into some, come on, now you all know, you all going to make me go here. You all know when you got somebody who they needed you, and you get that, oh, my God, you are so amazing. Thank you so much for serving. And you get that, and you're like, 
It was Jesus. Oh, thank you. <laughs> and guess what it does? If we're not careful, it puffs up the ego. And so you got to keep it in check. That's why we need to go and sit before Jesus' feet and say, Lord, get all the junk out of me. If I've started to create this as something it's not supposed to, if I'm trying to get my needs met unhealthily and trying to get my value and worth by what I do, then, Lord, I need you to cleanse me. I need you to change my heart, right? All right. Now if I'm Mary and Martha, let's go over here to Acts. Acts 6. We see, we kind of fast forward. The kingdom is now exploding. If you're in Acts 6, the apostles have been preaching. They've been teaching. Miracles have happened. The church is, people are getting added to the church um, daily at this point, thousands. Things are growing and they're happening, right? We're like, woohoo! And they're like, they're also trying to serve because it says in the Bible, and I forgot the exact scripture, but true religion, pure religion is taking care of the widows and the orphans. And so they're doing that. But there was a group of Hellenistic Jews that were widows, and they were kind of getting mad because they felt left out. And the apostles were like, look, if we're trying to kill ourselves, trying to preach and teach and pray so we're, you know, filled up and we're, we're connected, and we're trying to do all this in serving, something's got to give. And they said, so let us find seven men who are full of, I love this, full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost to serve these widows and to serve the tables. And sometimes we can think if we're serving, it's a menial task. Because some of you may never get the accolade from the stage. Sometimes God will have us behind the scenes, organizing stuff, picking up the bathroom trash, wiping kids' noses, teaching them about Jesus, cutting the grass, whatever it is. Take, you might be a mom, and you're like, nobody sees what I do. Any moms in the home? I got, okay, some of y'all. Look, back in the day when my kids, I had four under seven, and I was like serving to my fingers are blue, and I'm like, nobody knows the sorrows. Um, I had a lot of pity parties for myself, but sometimes you'll never, you won't know those, serve, you know, those moments of serving. Nobody may ever see those, but we don't serve to be seen. We do what we do. We serve unto the Lord. Every job I've taken, God, whether I'm answering phones, whether I'm being a supervisor, whether I'm doing data entry, whether I'm collecting money, whether I'm in a pastoring, God, I want to serve to the best of my ability and to bring you honor and glory. Amen? All right. I love this. Stephen, he is in chapter uh, 6 of Acts. He is one of the seven who was chosen. Man, Stephen was killing it as a server. Um, I want to read this really quick. If I can find it on here. In Acts. Well, I'm out of print. All right, I'm going to get closer to the screen for just a moment. Um, it says in Acts 6, verse 8 and 10, and this is in the message translation. He said, he was brimming with God's grace, the grace of serving, and energy, and was doing wonderful things among the people. Unmistakable signs that God was among them. And we know that he actually was one of the martyrs, and he got to see Christ standing up. So you might say, nobody knows what I'm doing. It may feel maybe that you're hidden, but God knows. God sees. And you can do powerful. God can have miracles coming through your hands. You don't have to have a, we, not, we don't have to have a platform ministry to see the miracles of God happen. It happens in the marketplace. It happens when you're talking to your neighbors, when you're at boat church, you know, wherever. If you're at the Waffle House, God's spirit goes all over. It's not contained in these four walls. Amen? And then our greatest example, I, I like this, is in Matthew chapter twenty. And this is an example of Jesus. I want to just paint the picture really quick. Jesus is telling them at this time, he says, listen, I'm about to be handed over. I'm going to be crucified. This is what's going on. And oh, don't you love James and John? The sons of thunder. They're at this point, and they're like, um, so who's going to be sitting on your right hand? Who's going to be sitting on your left hand? Again, that little ego sneaks up on you. That pride sneaks up. And Jesus is like, and, his, and then they get their mama involved, you know? And if you read in there, it made the rest of the disciples ticked off. They're like, excuse me, we all gave up our life too. Who says you going to sit on the side? You know, I, I'm not, how, I don't know exactly what conversation they had there. It just said they were upset. 
And so I just put my own translation in there, sorry. But so they were upset, and Jesus says, you don't even know what you're asking. He says, you're going to drink double the cup because he's about ready to take on this cup of sacrificing his life. Sometimes we want to serve when we're in the spotlight, but when the sacrifice comes, we don't want to serve. But people who have a gift of serving will step into those moments. In Matthew 20, and this is verse 27 through 30, it says, Because the greatest honor and authority is reserved for the one with the heart of a servant. For even the Son of Man did not come expecting to be served by everyone, but to serve everyone and to give his life in exchange for the salvation of many. Freely we get and freely we give. That should be our heart, and Christ is our biggest example in that. So I want to encourage you, if you're a server, serve with love. Serve with passion. Be careful of the pitfalls of not trying to get your identity from it, not trying to feed your ego from it, not trying to get our value from it, because it comes from Christ first and foremost. Amen. Wow, that's great. <clears throat> the second gift we'll kind of hone in quickly is the gift of a teacher. And uh, Jesus is referred to as a teacher or a rabbi 56 times in the New Testament. The only other phrase accredited to Christ himself more than teacher or more than rabbi is Lord. So, but what does that mean to us and how does that speak to us if the God of the universe came, put on skin and bone, came and lived among us, served us as a teacher? Like, like, think about it. If, if you were going to change the world, if, if, if you were going to invent, he, he, sorry, I'm stuttering because I'm so excited. Let me get it together. Jesus lived 33 and a half years. He became, he stepped into ministry at 30 years old. He had a three and a half year ministry. The creator of the universe. I can't wait to teach y'all one day that, did you know Jesus' birthday was, was predicted to the very day? I'll show you this stuff at another point. But, I mean, the Bible says that, that in due time he came. I mean, at the set time he came. And, and he had 33 and a half years to ignite the world, to change the world, to shift the course of human history. He stepped into it at 30 years old. For three and a half years, Jesus did the Father's will to bring a revolution and redemption to mankind. He served everybody, but he invested most of his time in teaching. Did you know that? I mean, uh, think about this with me for a moment. This is incredible. How much time would you spend learning and teaching if you wanted to shift the course of human history? Is it all in serving? Is it all in learning? Is it all in teaching? Or did he evangelize? Did, you know what I mean? Like, but, but primarily, Jesus is a teacher. He is known affectionately today as one of the greatest teachers who has ever lived on the face of the earth. He has a special role, a special place in the human story as God coming down to one of us, putting on the scholarly robes and, and teaching and laying down his life. And man, Jesus was the greatest storyteller who ever lived. He didn't just throw out knowledge and throw out information. His teaching style just wasn't one of informing but transforming. It wasn't one of just kicking knowledge or, or giving out facts but, but igniting the heart of the hearer. And so um, the, there is a, a teaching gift, a grace gift of the Holy Spirit that we see displayed uh, in Jesus' life in an amazing way. Jesus spent so much of his time teaching, listen to this, listen, listen, truth matters. What you believe matters. Revelation knowledge matters. Wisdom, knowledge, understanding are essential. The Bible says that we are transformed by the renewing of our minds. Did you, your metamorphosis, your, your change, your, your becoming who God intended you to be is directly connected to your heart to learn. 
Listen, a great teacher can give you information, but a dynamic teacher will change your life. I'm telling you. The, the grace gift on a teacher is, lift, is listed. I think this is interesting. Every time the, the ministry gifts are listed, the, the teacher gift is on every one of those lists. The prophet Hosea said, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. Some people say, well, what you don't know can't hurt you. What you don't know might destroy you, according to the Bible. Why don't you try that on the IRS? <laughs> well, man, I mean, uh, I didn't know I was supposed to be paying taxes. <laughs> well, what you didn't know just got you put in jail, you know. Uh, good information can change anybody, but a great teacher will change everything. Man, you need to hear that. Listen to me. Good information can change anyone, but a great teacher can change everything. A Japanese proverb says, better is one day with a great teacher than a thousand days with books and study. A great teacher inspires and ignites the journey within us. They impart the grace of a burning heart. Do you remember when Jesus was on the road to Emmaus? And if you're not familiar with the story, Jesus had uh, been crucified. He had been raised from the dead. And, and rumors were going around that he was risen. And, and so two guys are on their way. I could actually prove to you it's a husband and wife. But nevertheless, two people are, are on their way traveling. And Jesus sneaks up behind them. And he says, uh, why are y'all walking around so sad? And uh, I love this because they didn't know it was Jesus. But he wanted in on the conversation. I just love the fact that God can be sneaky with us, you know what I mean? And um, some, Bill Johnson calls God Jehovah Sneaky, you know, like, like he, he can mess with you. Have I ever had God mess with you, uh, you know? And uh, so, so Jesus is messing with them. He pulls up behind them, uh, you know, swagging, you know. Uh, he probably didn't walk like that. But um, so <laughs> he, 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 he engages their conversation. And, and the Bible says that he began to talk to them, and he said, he said, man, why are you guys walking around and you're so sad? And they said, man, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about the things that have happened? He said, I love this. What things? <laughs> I mean, he's hiding the, the nail scars, you know what I mean? He's like, what you talking about? I don't, what things are you talking about? And, and they began to say, man, there was a prophet that we, we, he was mighty in word and deed. Listen, mighty in word and deed, and, and, and we thought it was he who was going to save Israel. And so Jesus, ah, man, I want, I, I, want, I want this experience, and I want it for you. I want you to hear what the Bible says that Jesus did among them. It says, beginning with the law and with Moses, he expounded and opened their eyes to the Scriptures. And, and he began from the beginning to tell them how the Christ must come and must suffer and be crucified and rise again on the third day. They get to a table, and, and it, they set a table. Um, Jesus breaks the bread in a prayer, and their eyes were open. And then this is what they said. Did not our hearts burn on the inside of us when he talked to us? See, that's what a great teacher does. It doesn't just inform you. It doesn't just enlighten your mind. He sets your guts on fire. He, se he sends you into the journey and then acts as a guide. See, some of y'all, y'all want God to just tell you everything, but God's not going to tell you everything. He's going to ignite it because the Bible says it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but it is the glory of kings and queens to search it out. God will ignite the journey on the inside of you, and then he'll walk with you as a guide until he unlocks. Did you know the Bible says all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him? Why are they hidden? They're not hidden from you. They're hidden for you. Because in the pursuit of, you're being purified. Your motives are being purified. Your heart is being purified. He is the greatest teacher that's ever lived without a shadow of a doubt. I love the way God messes with me. I love the way Jesus teaches. Usually Jesus asks me a question or I ask him a question. And it may not be in that moment. Sometimes it is. Rarely. Sometimes it's a couple of days later. 
And it's like God checked his text message like, oh, yeah, okay. Hey, man, you want to talk about that? I'm like, oh, yeah, let's talk about that. And it's always absolutely life-changing. See, a great teacher will influence you for eternity. You know how many people may suffer in the end of life? You know you will live forever, right? You get to choose smoking or non-smoking. But you will live forever. Listen to me, beloved. And the teachers who influenced your life will influence you for eternity. And I want to say just kind of practically on this because we can be like, well, that ain't me. I'm not a teacher. Uh, teachers, you know. Hey, on that note, yeah. sorry, sorry, sorry. <laughs> the Bible says, don't let many of you become teachers knowing you will receive a stricter judgment. That's enough to purify your motives. In, in that gift, a lot of times teachers, they want to get to the truth. They want to dig. They're, a lot of times they're diggers. They want to get in. They want to dig. They want to find out. I kind of call it like the investigative journalism. You want to get in it. I want to know what the truth is. I want to see. And I want to show people. I want to, you know, help them. And so, you know, whether you're teaching your kids at home as parents, whether you are serving, whether, and there's those line upon line, precept upon precept. And sometimes we've gotten in, there's sometimes in the church culture this mindset that, well, if you get really educated, you're going to lose everything in the spiritual. And I, I just want to say, no, we need people who, who are willing to dig in the truth. We need people who are willing to go and, and dig and search and be able to put that labor in because it's a labor of love. And, but I think, you know, there's a balance to it, obviously. You can get so your head so full of information that it kind of goes to the other side. But I think it's having to say, okay, you know, keeping our hearts pure in that and, and being um, true to that. Go ahead. Sometimes we, we say stuff that, you know, dishonors people. Um, like, well, uh, he, he went to cemetery college instead of seminary. You know, anybody ever heard that phrase? Well, they just graduated from cemetery. Can I ask you, why are there no godly people pursuing government positions? Because we disgrace it. We dishonor it. We make fun of it. We criticize all our politicians. We never raise up our children to believe they can be world changers and shape the culture of the world and be freeders, leaders in the free world. We never set their guts on fire. And then we wonder, is this the best America has to offer? We wonder why Christians spend most of their life learning stuff no one cares about and answering questions nobody's asking because we're not willing to have real conversations and we're not willing to, to engage the marketplace. We need to start raising our sons and daughters to believe you can be the governor, you could be the senator, you could be in the House of Congress, you could be the president. We need godly leaders. The Bible says that the foundation of the righteous cannot be moved, but the foundation of the wicked are snuffed out. Listen, we need to start setting the bar high. We need to, you know, I, I mean, I mean, lawyers, politicians. I know. Oh God, why, 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 why are you not? Why do we not, as a community, and, and I mean, not real life, but but as the body of Christ, why do we not celebrate people having a desire to influence the world? We say, well, that's pagan. That's well, it's going to continue to be pagan until we begin to believe and release people to dream again, to lead again. Yeah, and we, and we need godly teachers. We send our kids to pagan universities sometimes, and they come away with jacked up thinking that ruins and destroys their life. We need to start investing in our sons and daughters and start, I mean, you know, Liberty University are some of the fastest growing colleges in the world right now because people are getting tired of dung and bull junk getting shoved in their kids' throats. And they said, no, listen, we want our kids to, to know Jesus. We don't want to send them to a university where, where their morals are corrupted and, you know what I mean? But and, I will also say, I'm going to counter right, right. that well, go because ahead. We, have, <laughs> we have professors here. Yeah. And we need them in the yes, secular yes, school. Yes, yes, we do. So yes, thank you. Thank you. Thank I'll you. I'll push back. No, that's great. 
That's not a pushback. That's a compliment. We need to send them to the major universe to be a voice of hope, to, to be a voice of truth, to, to stand in, in these moments, in these spots. Education's a big deal. Teachers is a gift of God, and he wants to ignite it inside of us, inside of people that he's bestowed the grace on to influence the world, to lead them to Christ, to stand for truth. We need them in the public universe. We, we, we need them big time. And, and man, I'm thankful for all, the, all of you guys who serve in higher education. Thank you. You hear me? Thank you. Osvaldo, thank you. Very, thank you. It matters because we get to be lights in the darkness. We get to be a voice of hope in a place of confusion. I, I, I'm, I'm thankful, deeply thankful for the great teachers and great leaders who exist in our higher education systems. Um, so a great teacher can influence you forever, okay? Jesus used the word disciple more than any other teacher. Uh, the relationship he created with his students was astonishing, world-changing. We're studying his students' words today. His students' teachings are still changing the world in every language, on every continent, in every place. Truth is so personified with Jesus, he says, I am the truth. The word disciple, I think this is interesting. The word disciple, y'all still okay? Everybody fine? We're almost done. Um, Neil, if you want to come, I think it'll make them believe that phrase. Um, truth is so personified in Jesus, he says, I am the truth. If anyone else said that to me, I would karate kick him in the jaw. I'd have Ricky Bowie tie him up like a pretzel, man. <laughs> you ain't the truth. Um, <laughs> but the word disciple is interesting. Jesus uses this word primarily. But you know what? After Jesus, the word disciple is never mentioned again in the Bible. Why would a concept, a relationship that was so imperative, so important, so significant, that, that the way Jesus did life and did ministry and did teaching was a rabbi-disciple relationship, but the New Testament never uses the word one time. Well, after the Gospels. Why? Is it because the relationship that you have with Jesus as your teacher is unlike any other relationship in your life? You will not be the disciple of anyone else. They may be a father to you in the Lord, a mother to you in the Lord, a teacher to you in the Lord. They, they may hold one of these gifts, but only Jesus is truly ever your rabbi. Because when you become his student, you'll follow him even if everyone else walks away. I think it's interesting that that word's never used again. So could it mean our relationship with Jesus is so sacred that we give no greater respect to any other teacher than he alone. We are his disciples. Brent, you're, you're Jesus' disciple. You're Jesus' student. God has given grace gifts and the teachers in the world and the body of Christ. Wow. Man, can we just pause right here? I, I, I want to pray for some of the teachers, man, that are, that are in universities, that are in our public schools, Christian schools, parents who are trying to homeschool. Can we just, I, I just believe this moment matters. Would you join me in praying for this? Father, I pray right now, Lord, for, for those who are teaching their sons and daughters, for those who've been trusted with the, with the minds and the lives of others. God, that they would steward those moments well. And Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that those with the grace gift of teaching will get ignited. God, those with the grace gift of teaching will be sent into the public schools, the private Christian schools. God, into the universities, into the seminaries. Lord, into the homes, into the communities. Lord, I pray for a revolution to begin to happen. God, in Jesus' name, I thank you that something began to happen at Asbury University when the Spirit of God began to fall on the university. God, I believe you're calling students, you're calling teachers, you're calling for reform, you're calling for renewal. God, these places 
matter to you deeply and so you started a fresh movement in our country by pouring out your spirit at a university lord we need godly teachers we need these brave men and women to make an impact in the world again holy spirit i ask you raise up the teachers raise up the teachers Jesus name. You know, you may say you may be here and not know Jesus. And you may say, well, I don't let alone know my gift. I don't know Jesus. And that is the most important thing. We talk a lot about taking the journey, starting that walk of faith. We come in and we pray and we we surrender our lives. And it can be scary, it can be a little nerve-wracking, but I'm telling you, the exchange that he gives, I want to read this again in Matthew, because the greatest honor and authority is reserved for the one with the heart of a servant, for even the Son of Man did not come expecting to be served by everyone, but to serve everyone and give his life in exchange for the salvation of many. And you may be here this morning and you don't know him. Can I tell you, he came for your salvation. He came for your wholeness. He came so you could be free and be forgiven. And then the beautiful thing is, is he actually gives you the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher and our leader and our guide. And he says he never leaves you and he never forsakes you. That word Holy Spirit there is a paraclete. It's one who comes right alongside So you have one that he just, he doesn't just leave you alone. He says, I come to bring salvation. I come to bring wholeness in your life. I come to bring you back in right relationship. And I'm going to walk with you through the whole process. We serve an amazing God who's thought of everything. So if you're here today, we want to take this time. We have become and we are making it. It is our mission. We want to see people say yes to Jesus. And if you're not a Christian or maybe you've been kind of trying to figure things out, I want you to look in this room because every single one of us mostly have had to have that personal moment with God where we've surrendered and we've said yes to him. And there is lives, I can go around the room, that have been transformed by the power of God. Some in small ways, little ways, big ways, huge ways, God is amazing. So can I ask you, can we just, for the moment, can you just make this a personal moment? If you got to close your eyes or bow your head, this is not because I feel like it's a, we're trying to do something in a corner, but I want to just take, can we make this personal? If you don't know him, if you've never said yes to him, and you may feel that tugging on your heart of knowing I know something's missing. I've tried to do this on my own. I've tried to listen to other people, but something is missing in my life. And there just feels like there's this hole and this this gap that I just can't seem to fill. Would you come to Jesus? He died on the cross. He was beaten. He was bruised. His blood was poured out for our salvation. that's you this morning and you just want to say, you know what? I want to step over into faith. I want to surrender my ways and I'm going to trust. Can we just lift our hands? Whether maybe you've done it a long time ago, maybe it's been a while, maybe you've walked away from God. Lord, you know every heart in this place. You know every heart listening, watching online, listening on the podcast. God, I pray right now, Lord, if they don't know you, God, that they will feel the sweet love and the presence of the Holy One that would beckon them out of their shame, out of their fear, out of that chaos, and that they would surrender their life to you. 
And it's simply saying, Jesus, I surrender and I give it to you. And will you show me how to walk? Will you show me what this means to to live this life? And I pray right now, Lord, I thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you. Holy Spirit, that you live on the inside of us to guide us into all truth, that you give us peace in the middle of the storms. You give us hope when things seem hopeless. God, you are in the very, and our very beings. God, we are never alone, and I thank you for that. And may, if there's somebody here that feels alone, that they feel forgotten, may they feel the, the wrestling of you, Holy Spirit, just stirring within their hearts. And we give you praise today. I want us to, if you raised your hand, I saw a few hands. This is not all you and God need to talk about. But I, I really do believe it begins this moment. Choose to place our faith in Jesus. You raised your hand. I just want you to, I want you to say this prayer, and I want you to begin to talk to God every single day. I want you to tell somebody, listen, I, I gave my life to Jesus today. I, I gave my life. I'm a Christian now. I believe that, that transformation begins with a single moment that says this, Jesus, I give you my life. Can we just pray that together as a community? So. Jesus, I give you my life. Oh, Lord, we celebrate forgiveness. We celebrate redemption. We celebrate, God, people are being made new right now on the inside. Your shame is being washed away. Your transgressions are being washed away. Forgiveness is coming. God is making everything brand new right now. Can we just give him praise for that church? Come on. Come on. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. And the beautiful thing is, it's a personal walk, but it's a corporate because we're better together. What you may walk through, there's people in this room that might be able to come and put their arms beside you and say, hey, I've been there. It may seem crazy right now, but I'm telling you, hang on. I've been there. That's why we're better together. We're stronger together. We got done a little early, so you guys get to celebrate. Amen. But could you love somebody on the way out? If you need prayer, we're going to ask our prayer team to come. If you said yes to Jesus today, you come up, tell us. I want to hear it because I want to pray with you. Man, we're excited. God is doing awesome and amazing things. Be blessed. We'll see you guys Wednesday night. For more information to give or if you need prayer for anything, Visit us online at reallifeministries.org. Shalom.